This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Monday, May 11th, 2020. On this day in 1988, Soviet spy Harold Kim Philby died in Moscow at the age of 76. It was the end of one of the most storied double-agent careers in espionage history. Philby worked his way to the top of British counterintelligence operations, all the while feeding information to the USSR. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the death of Soviet spy Harold Kim Philby, who is best known as a member of the notorious Cambridge Five. All high-level British officials who were recruited by the Russians during their university days and turned traitor on their own homeland. Let's go back to that early morning in Moscow on May 11, 1988. The sixth-floor apartment was hidden in the lanes behind the city's central Tverskaya Street, guarded by a series of winding archways and doors. It was quiet, sheltered from the honking chaos of Moscow's daily morning grumblings. Still, Rafina Ivanovna Pakova woke up groggy and anxious. She'd been up late the night before, unable to sleep. In the end, she'd taken a sleeping pill to get through the night, turning out the light at 2 a.m. Probably she'd need another tonight. These were difficult times. Kim Philby, her husband, was in the hospital for a heart condition. Yesterday, he'd fallen in the bath, and he'd looked particularly weak when she went to visit him. So weak, she wondered if she should spend the night. After all, he was 76, not a dashing young man any longer, not even the drink-weathered but strong man she'd married 17 years ago. But no, she'd had to leave. She'd have worried him by staying. And if keeping his health up was the doctor's job, keeping his spirits up was hers. Still, she'd call the hospital right away just to check in. Then she'd head back over to see him. With each ring of the phone, Rafina Ivanovna's anxiety heightened. There was something foreboding about that hospital ring. When the nurse finally picked up, she gave Rafina Ivanovna the news. Her anxiety was quite justified. The foreboding was prophetic. Kim Philby had died of heart failure the night before at 2 a.m., just as Rafina Ivanovna turned out her light. A quiet end to a loud, exciting life. That's how Rafina Ivanovna tells the story, anyway. Others have a different version. Retired KGB agent Leonid Kolosov claimed that a KGB colleague and the Kremlin doctor both informed him that Kim Philby shot himself. 
Kolosov asserted that he had no reason to disbelieve them and added that, though he'd only met Philby twice, when he'd seen him a few months before his death, he'd seemed quite depressed. Kolosov even claimed that Philby said if he'd known Russia would turn out to be such a bardock, he would not have wasted his life in its service. Bardock being a vulgar word that literally means brothel and is figuratively used to describe a mess. Kolosov backed up his argument with something Philby said in a January 1988 interview. When asked if he frequently used a gun during his espionage career, he replied, a true secret agent only shoots once in his life, when he has no other way out. There's no clear evidence for Kolosov's suicide story, however, and Rafina has responded to it directly, saying, the suicide story is rubbish, to put it mildly. She has discussed the fact that Philby struggled with depression and a related drinking problem. As she told the Moskovsky Komsomolets newspaper, his alcoholism was suicide. He once even said that it was the easiest way to bring life to an end. But in 1972, a year after she married him, Rufina said that Philby pulled himself out of that dangerous place. The KGB started giving him more consistent work, and the couple's life at the island on the sixth floor, as they called their apartment, continued quietly for many years. Still, Kolosov's claim that Philby was disillusioned with Russia does seem to have some merit. Rafina has explained, he saw people suffering too much in the USSR. In a 1997 interview, she expanded. He was particularly irritated by Leonid Brezhnev, who led the USSR from 1964 to 1982, Mikhail Gorbachev, who led the Union from 1985 to 1991, raised his hopes at first, but he got tired of his demagoguery. Of course, he would have been appalled by the poverty now. He had a great sense of social justice. Still, Rafina said, Philby remained convinced that the ideals were right, but the way they were carried out was wrong. The fault lay with the people in charge, not with communism. And as he put it, the West has its defects, too. Coming up, Kim Philby's career as a double agent alongside the Cambridge Five. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Kim Philby died in Moscow on May 11, 1988. He'd been in the Soviet Union for over two decades, since January 1963. But before that, he worked for the Russians as a secret agent for three decades, sending them intel from the heights of the British counterintelligence establishment. Philby wasn't the Soviets' only high-placed mole. He was one of the Magnificent Five, as their Russian handlers called them, or the Cambridge Five, as the British would eventually dub them. 
In addition to Kim Philby, who worked for MI6, these high society agents included John Cancross, who was employed by both the British Cabinet Office and MI6, Donald McLean and Guy Burgess of the British Foreign Service, and Anthony Blunt, who ran the famous Courtauld Institute and served as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's curator. Philby was likely the first recruit amongst the Cambridge Five, who all adopted communist beliefs during their university days, at Cambridge, of course. At the time, in the early 1930s, such youthful indiscretion was common. Capitalism was beset on both sides by communism and fascism. To many young people, it seemed it would tip over in one direction or the other, and communism looked like the better option. Once they left school, however, most of the upper-crust British students who adopted communism abandoned their beliefs for the more traditional politics of their parents. They took jobs with MI6 or the Foreign Service, married nice girls from good families, and grew up into the patrician men they'd been born to be. It was easy for the Cambridge Five to blend in with these other men. To say communism had been a youthful fantasy, to stick their noses into the most confidential of the British government's business. But they weren't like their peers, not really. The Soviets had caught them at the height of their political passions and recruited them for the communist cause. Perhaps the most interesting thing about the Cambridge Five is the fact that it was this passion for communism that single-handedly sustained each of their decades-long careers as moles. Unlike most professional spies, they were not always compensated for their work. They performed it on principle and therefore considered themselves principled men. At first, justifying their choices wasn't so hard. It was easy for them to serve the Soviets and the British government at the same time. After all, the two were on the same side throughout World War II, when the Cambridge Five were starting their double careers. As Kim Philby's fourth and last wife, Rafina Ivanovna Pakova, explained, Kim did not feel he had betrayed Britain. He was fighting fascism and we were all on the same side in those days, weren't we? Things got harder when Britain and the Soviet Union parted ways during the Cold War. Many of the Cambridge spies, including Philby, turned to drink to deal with the pressure of their double lives, developing dangerous and erratic behaviors. But it was too late to back out. They'd already committed to communism, and after all, things weren't so bad. Thanks to a combination of intelligence and British class privilege, they were doing awfully well in their careers, official and unofficial. Kim Philby joined British intelligence in 1940, already six years deep into working for the Soviets. By the end of the Second World War, he'd made it into the top levels of the agency's ranks. In 1949, he was appointed first secretary to the British Embassy in Washington, serving as the chief British liaison with American intelligence agencies. And all the while, he passed every piece of secret information he came across to the Soviet Union. He's believed to have been the most prolific and thus most deadly of the Cambridge Five. His intel led directly to the death of countless British secret agents, making him a reviled figure in the UK. 
But by the same token, he was considered a hero in the USSR after he defected in 1963, finally on the brink of discovery and imprisonment. When he died, he was given a hero's funeral and multiple posthumous medals for his service. Even today, he is admired in Russia. As recently as 2011, a plaque in his honor was unveiled by the head of the Foreign Intelligence Service. It can be found at the service's headquarters in Moscow. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. To learn more about Kim Philby and the Cambridge Five, check out the espionage episodes on Donald McLean. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson.